a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Lesson 19 in Genesis. This is chapter 16, the entire chapter. It's only 16 verses. It's not very long, but there's a lot that goes into this, a lot of stuff that we're going to hit and go over with it. So be good. This is Hagar, the angel, and Ishmael. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. And I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because of the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right, so we're just going to break this down into two basic spots realistically, there's a third verses 15 and 16. We should break that up a little bit further, but there's not much of a point for the two verses as it's it's just the returning and the fulfillment. So verses one to six, we're looking at unbelief and conflict. And then seven to 16, Hagar and the angel, which is a major piece. So let's get into it. Verses one and two. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Okay, so we're going to hit lots of extra verses and pull through a bunch of different things today. So there's a lot of stuff that we're going through. First of all, we we see here Sarai, Abram's wife. You're going to see a lot of linking inside of this section of Sarai being Abram's wife and Hagar being the servant or the maidservant of Sarai and and making sure that this is clarified throughout and that that relationship is held and sustained. So going from there, we see Sarai 
had not born any children. There were no children so far from Sarai. This is this was foreshadowed earlier in chapter 11, verse 30, which says, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. So we, we already had seen this. We'd already known this. And it was already pre-talked about, but that's fine. But she had a, a female Egyptian servant, Hagar. Wonderful. The, the version or the term here for servant is means a few different things. It's a handmaid. It's a female servant or a female slave. It's somebody who's actually under the care and the charge of the woman of the household, somebody of prestige. Most likely, Hagar was given to Sarai while they were in Egypt by Pharaoh. Okay, this was probably not one of the, the servants that was given to Abram, but likely one that was actually given directly to Sarai for Sarai so that Sarai would be taken care of. That, that happened a lot inside of those courts. That's just the way that that really worked. But she most likely came along during the time in Egypt. Makes sense. She's Egyptian. We see later that she's trying to get back to Egypt, most likely her, her land. So it just makes sense. We also see here that Sarai is pointing out that God has providentially withheld children from her to this point. Now, whether it was natural barrenness, you know, she just couldn't have children and it was a natural thing, or God withheld that so that he could really shine his light and push things forward. The point of the being that her mentality, her mindset was set that it, God said we were going to have children and I haven't had children. So, it just hasn't happened because God hasn't done it yet. This is her way of saying, if God was going to do it, you know, if it's going to happen, God's the one who's going to make it happen. It's not happening. It's not happening on its own. So God's going to have to make this happen. Most likely at this point, as we're going to see here in just a little bit, they'd been in, in the land of Canaan for 10 years. She's about 10 years younger than Abram. He's 86 when Ishmael is born. So, She's in her 70s. Most likely she's she's you know within menopause. And so she's done. And and she's sitting here saying it's not gonna happen. And if if what God is saying is gonna happen, it's gonna have to happen a different way. So I think for her, this is a way for her to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assist in this, right? I'm going to trust that God's going to provide and do this, but wanting to do it through a human mentality and saying, I'm going to help inside of this. And unfortunately, oftentimes when we try to help God with God's plan, we can kind of muck things up a little bit. We can kind of get in the way. And that's what we see here is Sarai saying, look, God's promised that your children are going to go everywhere. And I don't have any children. You don't have any children. So perhaps my maidservant can actually do this and God can provide through this. This handmaid can provide through this. Now, interesting pieces in here. For for one, and we're going to go through this here in just a little bit about when we get into the what the this really means, but it was kind of a common practice. You know, this sounds to us, oh, this is crazy. Who would give their, what woman in her right mind would give her husband another woman? Like, that's just crazy talk, right? And even guys would say, you know, half the guys are, yeah, and the other half are going, I can barely handle one, you know. Any one of them that's actually honest, I, well, and no, right? <laughs> not not a good decision. I think everyone under, sees this, understands this is really not a good decision. But she's trying to help God and she's trying to help and do this. In her mind, I think she's being helpful, but in reality, it's just, it's not trusting God and doing things. He hadn't said exactly how this was going to happen, but she's trying to do this and saying, maybe we can build up, I can build up and have children through her. Yeah, I know if you're into the modern culture at all right now, you're you're probably thinking Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, this is kind of where they're getting some of that, not to the point of of what they're thinking. You know, that's not, it's not, it's very dramatized in that. But anyway, so God had prevented me. It shows Sarah's belief that God is in control and ability to do this. But this also images and shows a pattern here. It's very reminiscent to when they first got into the land of Canaan and then there was the famine and they fled to Egypt. They fled to Egypt. And so, you know, we, we see that again in Genesis 12, 
12.10, that there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Okay, so it's kind of imaging that. It also kind of images the situation with Adam and Eve. And you're starting to see more of this pattern develop, right? You start to see a pattern that's happening. Two times isn't a pattern, right? We Sometimes we hear things like that, like it happens twi- It happened twice, so you it's a pattern. No, 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 you're seeing a pattern form, but it's not necessarily a pattern. A pattern requires a minimum of three. So not a pattern yet, but you're starting to see this, this pattern emerge on the half, behalf of men. Men just being humanity, right? Men and women. Now, go in and I shall obtain. So, okay, a couple things. Yeah, the, the, the Hebrew literally does say go into. It's, it's euphemism for coitus. It's euphemism for have relations with, right? It's a euphemism in, in Hebrew. So that was just a normal thing. But there was also evidence, like we were kind of talking about, that surrogates were used inside of this region in this point in history. This wasn't an an abnormal thing. Child death rate was incredibly high, right? If Miscarriages happened all the time because women would work really hard. Water wasn't clean. And so if they were drinking a lot of water, they might have you know gotten sick a lot and then had issues. There's extra drinking of wine because the water wasn't clean and that's how you could get fluid into you that was actually purified, you know, so lots of different things that was going on, but there's just a bunch of, a bunch of issues and a bunch of things. And so the child mortality rate was incredibly high. And so it, it wasn't uncommon for families to have situations to where they, they just weren't able to have children on their own. And so they would bring a surrogate in. Now, if they had a, a handmaid or a maid servant or, you know, a female servant in there, it was normal for them to marry that servant and as well, right? And then have children from that. Now, usually when the children would happen and that would go in, they would then go back into the, the service of the family, right? It was just a, a the way that the way that things were done. Now, this was common throughout the region. In that time, I mean, we see evidence of this all throughout. We see it in biblical context. There's multiple places in the Bible that we see this. We also we see this here in Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 to 12. Then she said, "Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that I may have children through her." You fast forward through that. She has that a couple times. Verse nine there says, "When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpha." And gave her to Jacob as a wife, and Leah's servant, Zilpha, bore a son to Jacob. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a normal thing that we see even through the scriptures. But even extra biblical, we, we see this throughout as well. It's throughout the Code of Hammurabi. It's in other ancient texts. We have ancient documents showing marriage contracts. It's throughout extra laws throughout the land of different ways that people could could do these things. So it was actually a, a, something that was pretty normal throughout the region. Sounds crazy to us today. Back then, this was, you know, procreation. <laughs> that was how you populated the earth, which was God's command, by the way, go and fill the earth, populate. And so this was following God's command. And this was the way that people were, were trying to do that because of the harshness of the land. It was hard to live. So this was it. Now we, we see another beginning here of mm, kind of a pattern. We saw with Adam and Eve in chapter three, Eve says, hey, listens to the, the serpent. Eve eats, sees that the fruit looks good, eats it, and then gives to Adam. And Adam kind of sits idly by and allows it to happen. And then he goes ahead and eats himself. Well, look at Chapter 3, verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the day of your life. So Adam kind of just listened to his wife and, and went along with it. Not saying listening to your wife is a bad thing. Don't read into that. But if it's something that you know that you're not supposed to be doing, or God has given you a charge and a call and said, hey, this is what's going to happen men, we need to step up and actually lead our families and not just go away with it. Sometimes we're the ones who are drawn away and saying, no, we need to do. See lots of examples of that in the Bible, okay? The point of me bringing this up is if we know it's wrong, maybe we should, hmm, I don't know, 
stop, <laughs> not do it. But Abram listened to his wife. He listened to his wife. And so kind of, again, seeing that, that pattern emerge here. Let's continue on. Verses three to four. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Multiple things here. First of all, it's 10 years. 85 years old when this is happening, because we see in 12.4, they went, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abram is currently 85 years old when this is happening. Okay. Now we, we see here again, more use euphemism happening in the text. He went in, that's euphemism. I think we all know what this is trying to say. She conceives. And then she looks at Sarai in contempt. And, and it's really easy to want to read through this really quickly and see this in a couple different ways. First of all, we, we want to make sure that we're we're paying attention to what the text is saying here. Hagar is looking with contempt towards Sarai. It is not Sarai looking with contempt towards Hagar. Okay. Make make sure we understand that. And and it's also not necessarily a you did this to me type of contempt. It could be could be, right? It's it's one of those we're not really told per se exactly why Hagar is looking at Sarai in contempt. If it's you forced me to marry an 85-year-old and now have his children, or if it's a I am now bearing the children of the master of the house, you know, the man of the house, and you're less of a woman was looking at her with contempt like you're above me, but I'm the one bearing the children of the family. So most likely she's looking at her with contempt of, I'm doing more your work than you are, and I should be lifted up. And so she's angry at Sarai is the most likely in, in my mind. But it's something that we need to pay attention to. Our, our decisions and our attitudes and the way we go about things, the actions that we have, they, these have consequences. And it's something that we really need to understand and, and really realize. These have consequences. Sarai could have and arguably should have, should have waited and trusted the Lord to provide. If God said, I am going to do this for you, he's probably going to direct you in the path that, that you need to do this. And so she's jumping the gun. And Abram's going along with the jumping of the gun here. Okay. God hasn't given them a directive as to how this is happening. And so they're just trying to make it happen. God said this is going to happen. I think we all do this very, very often. We, we jump the gun. God gives us a direction, says, I'm going to do this for you, or I want you to do this. And we're kind of in this how. And sometimes we're not getting the answer as quickly as we want, and we, we jump the gun. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. You can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. And so, they jumped the gun. Okay? She could have and should have waited and trusted the Lord to provide, but it was a big deal. You know, it was a big deal for a surrogate handmaid like this, to try and usurp the lady of the house due to conceiving a child. But that's what we're seeing. That's exactly what we're seeing here. It was actually forbidden. It was forbidden in the Code of Hammurabi, which would have been the cultural code of the day, you know, the law of the land, so to speak. And 
they could, but, but the thing is, they couldn't actually be sold after this. You know, usually you think, oh, well, they're they became contemptuous, they had issues. You could just they're a slave, you just sell them. You know, get another. According to the codes, they actually couldn't be sold. They could then be marked as a slave and treated like all of the other save, slaves and the servants, so they could actually lose their higher standing position inside of the household and be abused because of the situation. But they couldn't be sold. They couldn't be sold for this. In fact, we'll, we'll see here a little later that there were actually laws in place that, you know, they could do pretty harsh things as punishment for this. But five and six. And Sir I said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Oh, I love this. He, he's, he listens to his wife. They, they go about and do this essentially together. And the consequences are not good. They're not good for Sarai. They're good for Abram, but they're not good for Sarai. I say good for Abram because that, that you know, this is, feels like the fulfillment, right? He's he's having offspring. He's having children to grow his name and doing this. This is this is good. But Sarai feels like this is bad for her, and now she's being looked at with contempt by someone that should not be doing that. And she's pushing this and saying, "Hey, look, this is this is on you. This is on you. May the wrong done to me be on you." I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw, and I love this, it's almost, it's almost manipulation happening here, right? I did this for you. Well, this was your idea. Like, <laughs> I get it. You were trying to do good, but like, don't go and start manipulating the situation and the other people about this because it didn't turn out the way you wanted it. You know, you can't do something and then pull the victim card and say, you did this to me. No, I, I did what you asked, right? And that's what's happening. Sarai is pulling pulling this. She's, I made this made this call, I did this, and now I'm the victim. You're, if you're a victim of your own doing, you're not a victim. You know, we'll just throw that out there. If you did it, you're not a victim. Anyway, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And that's where we're saying most likely she's looking at her with, hey, I'm the one that's actually bringing the child into this. You can't do this. I'm doing this. And it's almost the you're less of a woman, I'm more of a woman kind of thing, which by the way is not the case. That's not, don't don't feel like that. That's not really the case, but ancient days, okay. It says, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to strike, but hold your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Sarai takes great offense at this, which, by the way, is normal. She should have. That, that is an appropriate response to take great offense to somebody who, at that day and age, was a servant who is now looking in contempt. It was the law of the land. She shouldn't and couldn't do this. And like it was, it was a big deal. And so Sarai obviously takes offense to this. And and to Hagar's attitude and this posture on Abram that she's pushing towards this makes it evident that if he wouldn't protect her, she's calling on God to do it and thus protect her even from Abram, her husband. She's, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of saying this is like a manipulation tactic. It's almost one of those look like, hey, I had this idea. It happened. It's not. It's going the way I wanted to except for this one thing, which is, you know, a bad thing, but you know, it's this one thing. And, and now because it's happening, it's on you. You're the one who's causing this to me. You're the one doing the hurt to me. God's going to deal between you and me. And I, God's going to have to protect me from you because you are allowing this evil to happen to me. This is a manipulation tactic. This is straight and forward. This is a manipulation tactic. And I actually love Abram's response here. Abram's response is just pretty, pretty plain. Uh, your servant is in your power. She's still your servant, right? <laughs> like even inside of the system and how things are going, she is still your servant and she is in your power. She is under your charge, your care, not mine. Yes, she is now my bride to do this, to grow the family, but she's your servant and in your charge, your care. And we see here that Sarai, unfortunately, goes way too far goes way, way overboard. That pendulum is just swinging all over the place, you know, all, all over the place and hitting things really, really hard. And it's sad. And it's really sad to see. It's not a healthy situation. So Abram's response is very, very good. Now, Sarai's, 
Sarai had legal rights to do some pretty unthinkable things. In fact, the law of Ernamu, who was a Mesopotamian king around this era, and, and so they actually had laws written for things like this. But his prescribed punishment for a, a slave or a servant who had an insolent mouth, an insolent concubine, so somebody who was in the position of Hagar, who became insolent and was doing, honestly, stuff like this, his prescribed punishment for that was to scour their mouth with a quart of salt. That would burn your mouth. You would have horrific sores all over your mouth. Like your gums would be bleeding, the roof of your mouth. You wouldn't be able to eat and take care of things for days, if not a couple weeks. Like you would be on very limited stuff trying to, it would hurt to do anything with your mouth. So like this was some pretty serious stuff. And so when the text says Sarai dealt harshly, that's saying something. And the term used here for harshly is actually the same word in Hebrew used for how the Israelites were treated by the Egyptians in Exodus 1.12. So it, it links together in saying that how horrible this was is something that actually comes back and, and starts to hit starts to hit the Israelites from the Egyptians. Exodus 1.12 says, but the more they were oppressed, which that's the word here is this oppression. She was oppressive. She dealt harshly with her and did some inconceivable things and oppressed her. The more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So pretty big things happening here. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord, we're, we're getting into an interesting section here. So, so we're, we're We've seen this section up front where, hey, God is saying we're going to have children. It's not happening yet. I'm not having kids. If it's going to happen, it was going to happen by God. And he hasn't done it yet. So we're going to, you know, let's try something different. And then Hagar looks at her with contempt. Sarai overreacts is kind of the consensus of theologians going through commentaries and, and writing in these commentaries is she, she over overreacts pretty harshly. And so Hagar flees and she runs. And here now in verse seven, we have a transition and a changeover. And, and we see this change of Hagar is now away. And the angel of the Lord, we have this one person who pops in and all of a sudden we have this new, a new player in the game that shows up. Okay, we've already talked some about some incarnate times of Christ showing up. And this becomes one of them that people believe this is a, a place where it's Jesus coming in. Now, Dr. Heiser, if if you're new to this, you, you, you might not know my affinity to Heiser. I, you know, he's, he's celebrating in heaven currently as of earlier this year. It was a great loss to the theology field. He had some incredible insight on things. Didn't always agree with him and everything, and that's and that's great. We 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 shouldn't actually necessarily agree with everyone, you know, with with people on every every single thing. But he had some amazing insight in his work in in understanding how the Old Testament texts and how all of this linked in together with the extra biblical texts, with things that were just straight up outside of the Bible, and, and recognizing the supernatural elements through the Old Testament and and the mindset of the people. And he had some amazing things to say about this. And I think we we need to understand a little bit about who is who is this angel of the Lord because this this the angel of the Lord is all over the place throughout the scriptures and especially in the Old Testament he's all over the place and so who is the angel of the Lord? Michael Heiser says the and, and this comes actually out of his book The Unseen Realm. You can find this on page two hundred and seventy of The Unseen Realm. If you have not read that. The Unseen Realm is a very technical book. It's a little bit more of a, a technical theological book. If you if you feel like that might be a little overbearing or a little uh, a little hard for you, but you're still interested in this sort of thing, might check out his book Supernatural, which is kind of a less resource intense 
summary version and easier reading. It's still not the easiest read, but it is a much easier read than The Unseen Realm. So Supernatural is another great book for, for this if you're interested. But this comes from The Unseen Realm, page 270. The identification of Jesus and the angel who is the visible Yahweh by virtue of embodying the name is made explicit in June, Jude 5. Now, I want to remind you, and this is Jude 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you know everything once and for all, that Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, the second time destroyed those who did not believe. This short verse, continuing the, the quote here, the short verse credits Jesus with the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. The reference, the reference comes from Exodus 23, 20 to 23, counter-reference of Judge uh, Judges 2, 1 and 2, where the angel of the Lord, in whom is the name, and that name is a capital N name, the name of the Lord, goes before Israel in the procession out of Egypt. The reference to destruction could be the death of the Egyptians, but is more likely the post-Sinai, where judgments of the enemies of Yahweh during the wilderness wanderings and the conquest, and that comes from Joshua chapter 5, 13 to 15, resulted in the destruction of the unbelievers. Now, some other verses that you can look at, obviously there is, again, the Exodus 23. You can look 20 to 23 is a great section. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, Judges 2, 1, Isaiah 30, 27 to 28, and so on and so on and so on, including here where we see the angel of the Lord appearing here as well. Now, the angel of the Lord is embodied with the name and and I love that that Heiser actually enunciates this a little bit with with a capital N, the name of the Lord, because you, you start seeing times where the angel of the Lord or the name of the Lord is present, and so is Yahweh, and the the physical embodiment leaves, and then God Yahweh is continuing to talk to people, and so you, you start having this understanding, this recognition that there's actually this this has got to be the pre-incarnate Jesus as the physical embodiment of God, because the son is not the father, right? They're, they're different, but Jesus is still God. And we see this throughout scriptures in multiple, multiple, multiple different places. And there's actually times throughout scriptures where you start to see, if you continue on in the referencing through the unseen realm, you'll start to recognize and see this angel of the Lord, whom the name of the Lord is, is in, talks about forgiving sins. There's actual references and talks about where, you know, God tells him, listen to my angel that is coming for my name is in him and he will not forgive wrongdoings and he will not forgive sins. If this angel has the ability to forgive sins, there's only one that's capable of forgiving sins. That was, remember, that was one of the biggest things that the Pharisees had issues with, with Jesus was he said, I forgive sins. Your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive the sins. So if the name of the Lord is inside of the angel of the Lord, this angel of the Lord is Jesus coming to earth pre-birth of Christ. Okay. So I wanted to get that understanding out there so we have, have a grasp of that before we really, really dig into this section because it's a big deal. It really is a big deal. So let's go ahead and let's let's dig into this just a little bit here. Seven eight. The angel of the Lord found her, her being Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, a servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Anyway, where did you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So he found her on the way to shirt. Now, mind you, this isn't Jesus just randomly wandering the plains of the earth and just stumbled upon her. No, no, no. This is a divine encounter. You know, he was there. He knew where she was. You know, God knows. But the the understanding that, you know, when they're in this, this plane, they still move, right? When the angels or when Jesus, <laughs> whom the name of God is in and does this, when when they're here and they're on earth, they move about. When they're on this plane of existence, they move about like people. And so he approached her and she was by the spring. Now, by the spring 
This is in the wilderness, which is again the desert, and she's heading back to Egypt or heading back towards Egypt. Sure is mentioned several times throughout the Old Testament. It, it means the wall, and it's believed to be a, a location as a reference to a barrier of protection of Egypt on the eastern side of Egypt heading towards Mesopotamia region as a way of protecting from what was going on. So she was most likely heading back to Egypt. And he asks her, where, you know, where are you going? Where are you coming from? She says, I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai, which implies she's going back home as well. 9 to 12. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Well, there's a word that we don't like today, submit. Obey and submit, submit to her. And But he doesn't necessarily just do this and say, hey, here's a command to this. He, he then gives her encouragement in this as well. The angel of the Lord also said to her in verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. Well, that sounds familiar. Let's just keep going and we'll come back and we'll hit the notes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Now, let's pause for a second. Why is he announcing that she's pregnant? At this point, chances are Hagar is not showing. You know, she's early in the pregnancy. She knows she's pregnant. Abram and Sarai know she's pregnant, but she doesn't necessarily look pregnant. And we know that when angels or here with the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up, when they're on earth in physical form like this, we see them in a physical way. They look like they look like men. They just look like a man. And so, okay, potentially, I guess, I suppose women as well, but they just look like regular people for the most part. And so you're seeing here, he's giving her instructions. And part of this is to show her, hey, I actually know something that I shouldn't know. I'm not just a guy showing up to you in the wilderness who happens to one, know your name when that wasn't brought up. Big deal. In fact, this is one of the only times, if not the only time in the Old Testament where an angel or, you know, an angel approaches and speaks to a woman and names her by name and goes by name like that. Okay, big deal. Knows her name then also says, you're pregnant. Giving her extra information to encourage her so that she knows that this is not just a man. Says, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son, which is another point that, hey, you'll know even more in the future. When you have the child, you will really know. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Verse 12, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Lots of things inside of this. So Hagar is told to go back to Abram and Sarai and to submit to them. Proverbs 17.2 says this, a servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. Obviously, that's again about a male, but still it doesn't matter. It's the same concept. We want to deal wisely. And so he's saying, look, submit to them, deal wisely, and it will go well for you. That she will receive that blessing from God. And it, by the way, is much like the blessing that Abram was told about. And we see that earlier in Genesis 13, 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also, or also can be counted. Well, what does he say? The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Again, let's look at Genesis 17, 20, which goes forward from here, next, next chapter. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. Oh, that's interesting. There's 12 tribes of Israel also then going the other direction. And I will make him into a great nation, which also goes with what the angel of the Lord here is describing and going off of. Now, this is where we have the split because both the the Islamic faith, so Muslim and Jews, 
all claim to be coming from Abram. This is that split, okay? We have, have those coming from the line of Ishmael versus those coming from the line of Isaac and Jacob, okay? This is that splitting. Now, here... Again, things in English don't always mean the same thing as they do in the ancient languages. When he says, you shall call his name Ishmael, Ishmael actually means God hears. And this is an overwhelming theme right here in this section is hearing, hearing and seeing the senses of God towards humanity and the humanity towards God. Okay, God hears is the meaning of Ishmael. But what has he heard? Because the Lord, he's, you're calling him Ishmael because the Lord, God, Yahweh, when you get those all caps like that, the small all caps, it's Yahweh, it's the name of the Lord. The Lord has listened to your affliction. God cares about those oppressed. Remember, when you look at Sodom, you know, when we'll get there. We've discussed this a few times already. But when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, the biggest thing held against them was their 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 greed and they're not taking care of and the injustice. They're not taking care of the 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 poor and the powerless. We get into the New Testament, you know, watch out for the widows and the orphans and do these things. God cares about that and he cares about those who are afflicted. And and here we actually see, let's let's look at the infamous Micah 6, 8, but let's go back one verse, get a little tiny bit more, more context, verse 7 and 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, here it is. He has told you, O man, what is good, and, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Let's also look at Exodus 3.7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. God has a heart for those who are afflicted, those who are struggling, those who are suffering. She had been crying out because of this affliction that Sarai way overboarded on and went way too far. And the angel of the Lord, incarnate Jesus, is saying, hey, God heard, and he's going to bless you and do this. So name him Ishmael because God has heard you. But he, now here's the thing. There's not a but. I really wish there was a but here. Because at least in English, this just feels like a but section. But it's not there. He says, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. A wild donkey is a metaphor in that area and for that era of a person who isn't constrained by the social norms. Okay, They live by their own power and their own resources. As an American, that just sounds like an American, right? We don't like to live off of off of the the help of others. That is kind of counter-American. Maybe not as much now as it was back in the day, but it, it is really counter-American. So it doesn't make sense to us. This sounds like a good thing. But remember, these are collectivist societies. People then depended on each other. Everything was for the society, for the family. It didn't start with me, then family. It went with family and tribe and country and going from there out. So it wasn't necessarily me. In collectivist societies, I am the least important part. It's really more the whole, the group. And so this is saying, Ishmael is not going to be like the rest. He is going to push against them and he is going to be hard-headed and he wants what he wants and he's going to do everything that he can to get what he wants. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. There's going to be strife. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be all of these things. His longing for freedom will create strife and conflict and he shall dwell over against all of his kingdoms. Now, this, I mean, it can be translated in multiple different ways, including near his kinsmen, in the presence of his kinsmen, in the face of his kinsmen, at odds with his kinsmen. Let's just, go again, go forward just a little bit. Chapter 25, 18, which just shows that this, this part at least was, was taken care of, and it, it actually happened. 25, 18, they settled from Ivawa to Shur, which is opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria, he settled over against all of his kinsmen. It's written the same way. So it just shows that this this really happened as well. Okay, keep going. 13 and 14, we're almost there. So she called the name of the Lord 
who spoke to her. Now, this, th- these two verses, ay, oy vey, there's so many different translations, so many different ways to do it. And, and we're, we're going to, I'm going to show you a, a ways that I think that this should be translated better. Now, mind you, no, I am not an expert in Hebrew. Listen to me speak it. It's very clear I'm not an expert in Hebrew. However, digging through the commentaries, digging through the languages, digging through and seeing what the different words mean and, and gives you some ideas. I found some other translations of this that I think are a better usage. In fact, what, one of the funny things is, is some of the one that I actually pulled for verse 13 actually comes directly from the English Standard Version as a subsect, like, or a translation of. And I'm like, this is a better translation. Why are we not writing it this way? It makes a whole lot more sense with what's actually going on, and, and it fits fits the gaps, and, and it fills in everything else. Why didn't they just use this? Anyway, 13, 14, let's, let's do this. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laya Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Now, a god of singing, or seeing, not singing, but a god of seeing, El Roy. Now, when you look at this in Hebrew, it was consonants only, it wasn't vowels, yada, 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 yada. Things, things, the way things were written were very different. It changed over time, right? So you get a few different things here. There's a couple different ways that this could be translated. Now, and and the reason why I'm bringing this up is this verse right here, usually when you see a name of God being given, it is found elsewhere in the scriptures. This is not. This is the only time if this is written as a name of God, El Roi, this would be the only place. And that's kind of odd. It's kind of odd. Most likely, this should actually be translated as the God who sees. So she's probably not naming him God who sees me or a God of, of seeing. You know, this is the God who sees. Okay. Translation here is actually good. You are a God of seeing, not God like as the name, God of seeing. And this is L. L means God. There was also an L in, in Babylonian, the Mesopotamian belief system, who was the, the the God of the underworld. But L is something that we see throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, especially as another shortened version of Elohim, but capital E-L as being the identifier that that is actually speaking about God. So God, L, Roi, saying God who sees or God who sees me. Okay. Roy meaning seeing. The latter fits better, the God who sees me or the God who sees. Because of the next statement, and this is where things really were where I was saying I, I wish this was different. It's because the next statement is actually not a statement at all. It's a question. So here's the actual question that's being asked if we translated it into English more directly as of how it was actually written. Have I really seen him who sees me? Okay. So here's the thing. So this says, calls the name of the Lord. So God, L. But then goes and says, you see me, God who sees me. For she said, which really isn't asked, have I really seen him who sees me? which is an emphatic, you know, is demanding an emphatic response of yes, which is why it's written in the English Standard Version as a statement. Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Okay, it's fine. It's not a, not a huge thing. And I think they do it as a, as a statement instead of a question because there wasn't a response given that we're told of. Verse 14, therefore the well here, the spring before in verse seven is now a well probably because there is a well next to the spring because they are near or in the middle of the wilderness. It's the desert. So it just makes sense that near this little stream, there's going to be a well because there's easier way to get to the water. Okay. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. This means the living one who sees me. All right, 15, 16. Let's just go ahead and wrap this up. Real fast. 15, 16, and Hagar bore Abram a son. So clearly she went back. She bore them, bore him a son, 
Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. So she followed along. She did what she was supposed to do. They name him Ishmael. So she told Abram what, what the angel of the Lord or what Jesus coming there had said. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. This is just, again, pointing off to the, the timeline, making sure that things are congruent so we can keep in place with the timeline. And so she does return, gives birth to Ishmael. This is the something that just points out the cost, at least for Sarai, for her plot is to give a son to her servant instead of herself because she didn't wait for God. So there are consequences for our decisions, our actions. Not all consequences are bad, but there are consequences, right? So what can we take away? Well, Sarai was tired of waiting for God to fulfill his promise to Abram. So she came up with a plan to get things going, bringing Hagar into the mix. Man, that's, we, we do this so often. We do this so often to where we just, God said, so therefore I'm going to make it happen instead of waiting and letting God do, do God's thing. This backfired on Sarai and caused her great pain and anger. Thus, she last, lashed out at Hagar and ended up getting even more upset at her own plan. Okay, just it was falling apart. It wasn't working the way she wanted it to. Why? Because she was trying to intervene in God's plan. Now, the angel of the Lord came to Hagar. Likely Jesus, right? Pre-incarnate Jesus came to Hagar after she had ran away to give her great words of encouragement. She returned after speaking with the angel of the Lord to Abram and to Sarai, and things went the way they went. So when we are doing things that God has promised or called us to, okay, when we're, we're in the path and doing these things that God's called us to or has promised us, we need to remember we are working on his timeline, not our timeline. Okay, when God has called, it is his will, it is his time, it is his provisions our job is to have faith, trust he will fulfill, and submit obediently to his call. And oftentimes, yes, things are going to start falling into place, and we have parts to play in that, and we have things to do. And when God opens these doors and makes ways for things to happen, we we walk in those and we fulfill and we do that. We don't just try to make these things happen and make ways happen and to try to force the hand of God because that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today and thank you for your word. We ask that you continue to be with us as we are, are going about our lives and doing these things. I thank you for getting the kids and I into the Midwest here in Indiana. I just ask that you have favor upon us and, and God, that you continue to open doors and, and do the things that are needing to be done that that you have called and that you have planned and God we we know that this is your plan for us and so we're we're stepping out in faith and stepping out in obedience and and trusting that you're you're going to continue to open the right doors and make these things happen so Father God thank you again so much for this and we just ask this in Jesus name Amen well thank you guys so much I hope you have a great time and you know what we will. Uh, we will see you guys next time. We're, we're not going to be here next week. Next week, the kids and I are traveling. We will be gone and about. So we're, we're just not going to be able to be here. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you guys later. Have a great one. God bless you. Bye-bye.